Good morning. Feel free to speak out and say amen or preach it so I know you're still alive out there because sometimes the expressions I get, you know, it's okay to shout when you hear the truth of God. We are continuing our series and called Behold a Savior is Born. Now last week, as you recall, we talked about how there is joy in anticipation, how much joy there is in knowing and trusting that God will show up. We can experience joy in our own lives as we wait upon him. This morning, we're going to talk about the servant love of Jesus. The way he came into the world, the way he lived, and the way he died. But the story doesn't end with his death, though, does it? What does it end with? Resurrection. We do not serve a dead Savior. He is alive and well, sitting at the right hand of the Father. But through us all experience from the way he came into the world, how he served other people, and how he died, through that whole context, he was a humble servant. Now, do me a favor. Raise your hand if you enjoy unexpected things happening to you. Raise your hand if you enjoy unexpected things. Really? I have to keep that in mind. Longs are nice. <laughs> Some people love to receive Christmas presents that are totally unexpected, while others will drop you clues. They love to give you clues about what they would like. But one thing that some people usually think about, now, this is not an endorsement to go buy a lottery ticket, but let's be honest, have you ever thought about what it'd be like if you won the lottery? Now remember, do not lie. I mean, think about it for a minute. Imagine someone going through their daily routine, working hard to make ends meet. And that's probably most of us in this room. And going home one day, they stop at the convenience store, maybe get some gas. They go in to grab something cold to drink, some water or soda, whatever it is. And out of the whim, they decide to buy a lottery ticket. You know, no big thing. They don't think much of it because the chances of winning are very, very slim. But then something unexpected happens. That ticket becomes the jackpot winner. Just imagine how that would change your life. It could bring immense joy and also new challenges. In fact, there was a special came on how many people have won the lottery and now are bankrupt. So it's money is not the answer. But the point I'm trying to make is that life can throw surprises at you and in a single event can change your life dramatically. Now we begin in the Gospel of Luke. Now he didn't read the Gospel of Luke because that's our main text is Philippians, but you can find this in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And this is where a single event altered reality dramatically. And I'm talking about the birth of Christ. But before we get to that part in the story, think about the woman that God chose. He did not choose a queen, a daughter of a wealthy a father or a daughter of a rich man, but he chose a girl from a small town. He chose the humble. And becoming pregnant with the Savior of the world was very unexpected. 
And it was very surprising because she was a virgin. On top of that, she was betrothed or pledged to marry Joseph. Now, guys, think for a moment. You love this girl. I mean, you love her. You want to marry her. And one day she tells you she is pregnant. But by the Holy Spirit, how would you react? Knowing that your reputation is on the line. My point being, I think Joseph doesn't get enough credit sometimes for how he handled himself in this situation. So it takes us to the unexpected arrival. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we see that Joseph, Mary, and her unborn baby must leave and travel to the big city for the census. And that was mandatory in the Roman Empire. Now today, we can fill it out, mail it in, or we can do it online. But back in those days, you had to show up and show your face. Now, keep in mind, back in those days, there was no ultrasounds or due dates. Even with today's technology and advancements in healthcare, you really, really never know when a baby might come. Now, more than likely, I think Mary will plan on having her baby at home, not in a dusty stable somewhere, but God had a different plan. Now, ladies, imagine being far from home, Traveling on foot and being extremely pregnant. Just put yourself in that situation. You'll have a place to stay for the night. The city was perhaps filled with all the travelers that had come to, to report themselves for the census. There was no place to stay, no vacancy for this young family to occupy. So they were given a manger, which is... A nice word for barn. Think about that. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, we read, She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes, laid him in the manger, and because there was no room for him, a room for them in the end. Jesus came into this world in a lowly and humble way, not born to wealthy parents in a palace like many of the kings before him. And we witness a most unexpected arrival of the Savior of the world. But God planned it this way. Being born the way he was, where he was, Jesus immediately identifies with the marginalized and the ordinary of the world. It's during the time of Christmas we're reminded that God's love is not reserved for the elite, but it is invited and accessible to all people. Now we'll take a look at how Jesus was during his time on earth. The humble nature that he came into the world with is a defining piece of who he is throughout his life. And we read about that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Paul gives us an expectation that we ought to live in a relationship with one another, and Jesus is to be our example that we ought to follow. We are to share his mindset of humility and service. Imagine for a moment a renowned artist uh, that's known for creating magnificent masterpieces. And his works hang on the most prestigious walls of museums and galleries, capturing the attention and admiration of all who view them. 
Yet one day, this artist decides to embark on a different journey, a different type of project. And instead of creating a masterpiece that demands attention, he chose to create a humble and unassuming piece of art. He challenged himself to portray the depth of human emotion and experience through simplicity. And as he worked on the project, he made a surprising decision by going and leaving his studio and immersed himself in the life of the common people. He lived in their neighborhoods, shared their daily struggles. He embraced their joys and sorrows. He wanted to fully understand the essence of their humanity, to see the world through their eyes. And after months of living among them, he went back to his studio with a newfound perspective. He carefully put his experience onto canvas, creating a piece of art that was unlike anything he had done before. It was simple, unadored depiction of everyday life. A mother's love, a child's laughter, a worker's toil, and a friend's embrace. And when he unveiled this piece of work, the world was astounded. The critics and admirers alike were moved by the depth of emotion of the piece. It searched their hearts in the way that none of his masterpieces beforehand did. And this is what he explained about it. In this simple painting, I aim to capture the very essence of our shared humanity, the beauty of everyday life, the emotions that connect us all, and the significance of ordinary moments we often overlook. That is to illustrate in a profound way that the artist's journey mirrors that of Jesus that we find in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Because just as the artist chose to step out into the lives of everyday people, Jesus chose to step, to step into our world. He left the splendor of heaven, and he experienced our joys, our struggles, and our sorrows, which comes now to the humanity of Jesus. It's through his humanity that he created the masterpiece we call redemption. We are to have this same attitude. Some translations will say mind. Literally, the Greek word means to think this way. So what kind of attitude or mind should we have? It's the mind of humility, selflessness, and service. It's that type of mind that led Jesus to willingly set aside his divine glory and take on the form of a human being. He did not choose a regal entrance. He was not born in the splendor of a palace, but rather his first cries filled the air in the most humblest places. He experienced the limitations and fragility of humanity from the moment he was born until his death. He felt the warmth of a mother's love, the comfort of a father's protection. He experienced hunger, thirst, and fatigue, and all the full range of emotions us humans experience. He was not just partly human, he was completely human. And pain was not omitted from his experience here on earth. He is often referred to as a humble servant for his leadership. He met people where they lived and lived among them. Look at verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2. Being found in appearance as a man. That's humbleness right there. The fact that he would step out of heaven and take on flesh. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
That is the way the humanity of Jesus demonstrated his sacrificial love. It's through his humanity that he accomplished the most profound act of love and redemption by dying on the cross for you and me. He bridged the gap between humanity and divinity, reconciling us to God and bringing us nearer to him. Think about it for a moment. Now you have to remember, back in the first century, dying on the cross was seen as being accursed by the Jews. He died a public execution. The best way I can describe that would be go down to Huntsville here in Texas, where death row is. People locked up 24-7. What kind of people do you think of when you think of death row? Do you think of very law-abiding, great people? Do you think about people like that? No. Our Savior, for your sake and for mine, died a way that was set aside for the criminal, for the most despised people. Even a Roman citizen was spared that type of death. It was so terrible and horrific. But he did that for you and for me. The humanity of Jesus is not just a historical fact, but a living reality. It continues to shape our faith and our relationship with God. It means that we have a Savior who intimately understands our struggles and our temptations. He knows what it's like to face adversity, rejection, and suffering. Even though he never sinned and lived a perfect life, he was not without temptations and trials. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. He has walked a mile in your shoes. He's experienced rejection. He knows what it's like to be sleepy, somewhat grumpy. You know, we don't find it written in the scriptures and the gospels. I can imagine that he got frustrated with disciples from time to time. How many times, Peter, do I have to keep telling you this? But he's also fully divine. He can sympathize with us. He's lived the human experience, but he did it perfectly without sin. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, listen to this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered The things which he suffered, he learned obedience. Beloved, that is our example. That is who we're supposed to be following. That leads us to the ultimate sacrifice. You know, there are deep connections between his birth and the way in which he died. He was rejected of men. We just read about and talked about that. He couldn't find a place to be born. He was rejected, had to be born in a barn, in a manger. He was rejected and hung between criminals outside the city when he died. Now Mary was present, of course, both at his birth and his death. Myrrh was provided at both. At both his birth and his death, his body was wrapped in cloths. At both his birth and death, there was worship. First, it was genuine worship, as we read about the shepherds. Later, the wise men would come, find him in Egypt, and worship him there. 
But in the second, at his death, at his trial, it was mocking. When the soldiers put the crown of thorns on his head and pounded it down upon him and then mocked him by saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Like I, He's both hailed as a king and his birth was earnestly, but in the second, at his death, it was done unjust. His death and his birth were full of humility and vulnerability. His birth was surrounded by animals in a barn, surrounded by shepherds. At his death, we witnessed Jesus hanging on the cross, crucified and punished along criminals. Neither one of these experiences are mighty or grand. Take for a moment, think about his birth, his life, and his death. Very humble servant. Not one miracle do he do for himself. He taught, walked among us, healed people. In fact, we're told in the Gospels that not everything is written down that he said or did because if they did, we couldn't contain the book. It'd be so big. John tells us certain things are written so that we may believe indeed he is the Son of God, the Messiah. These parallels teach us that Jesus' mission was not of earthly glory or of earthly power. His mission was one of sacrificial love and redemption. His birth and his death bookend a life that characterized by humility and selflessness. Jesus was a servant, born in the humblest the humblest of ways. He is the king of kings, and he chose to come down to live the perfect life so that we, his people, could be close to the Father. And without his death and resurrection, we would still be dead in our sin and our trespasses and have no hope of eternity with God. From the unexpected rival in the humble manger to the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, Jesus' journey on the earth illustrates his life as one humble servant. The birth of Jesus in a lowly stable was a deliberate act of humility. He identified with the marginalized and the ordinary. He taught us that God's love is accessible to all. That's why we support missions. His love, his redemption, is open to anybody and everybody. And I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. People claim that Christianity is exclusive. You say there's only one way. Yes, you're right, there's only one way. Jesus says, I'm the life, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But Jesus also said, all come unto me who are weary and heavy laden. I shall give you rest. So it's also exclusive. I mean, inclusive. It includes everybody. His birth in a manger and his crucifixion on the cross are profound demonstrations of God's intentional choice to reach down to us. Think about that. We are celebrating Christmas. His death is horrific enough. I don't think we can fully understand all that happened on that day, what he went through. But just think on this. 
Can you imagine being in heaven one day? And we, we've been studying the book of Revelation. We'll get done with it at the beginning of next year. But you look at the scriptures of heaven, how wonderful and beauty and glorious it is. The very fact that he was willing to step off that throne that belongs to him and to come to earth, much less in a way be born in a manger. That was a huge stumbling block for a lot of people. You mean our Messiah? The one who's going to turn back Rome and set us free is this baby that was born in the manger? Are you serious? Surely he'd be born in a palace somewhere in Jerusalem, the, the city that David built. But he came in the most unexpected way. I think sometimes we overgloss that too much and don't really think about the way in which he came. And the way he went about his life. His mission was not about earthly grandeur. It was all about sacrificial love and redemption. Just as the world was forever changed by the birth of Jesus, his death on the cross continues to transform lives and offers us the hope of eternal salvation. The servant love of Jesus. I hope you can see this the very fact that he came is a powerful demonstration of the sacrificial love for mankind. Now Jesus being God knows that not everybody's going to accept him. Not everyone's going to come to him. But he did it anyway. So that mankind, men and women, would have the opportunity to confess their sins, to repent of their sins, and put the trust in his completed work on the cross to cover those sins. So on the day of judgment, it won't be the fact that I was American. It won't be the fact that I was a Christian. It won't be the fact that I was a pastor of some churches. The only thing that's going to save me on that day is my relationship to him. That's it. And to hear those words from him, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Come in the rest that was prepared for you before the beginning of the world. That's what we exist for. That's the goal of all this, is to go out and share the good news and to make disciples, to build his kingdom one life at a time by the being empowered by the Holy Spirit to pull people out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And I cannot think of a better time than Christmas. We have Christmas trees all over the place. You ever stop and wonder why? Do we even have a tree? What does that signify? Most of your, light, most of your uh, Christmas lights will have lights. It's to remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. The tree represents the cross. That's where the cross came from. It's made of wood. You, most of them will have stars on top. It reminds us of the star of Bethlehem. It's all pointing to Christ. Now, granted, the Romans did have some type of winter solstice. They would celebrate the tree, but the Christians took it and put new meaning to it. I heard something, and I'm going to share with you in closing uh, this illustration 
people ask the question, well, if God created everything and he's powerful and he's good, then did he create evil because evil exists? Well, do you believe there's cold? You walk out the door and feel it now, right? But cold doesn't really exist. Cold exists when there's absence of heat. We call it cold. So there's absence of heat, that's when it gets cold. Does darkness exist? Well, we say it does, but really darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is just the absence of light. So evil exists because there's an absence of heat and light. When the love of God is absent from the heart of man, the result is evil. We have a lot going on in our world today. A lot. Do, do you know Jesus, first of all? Not here, but here. Have you confessed and repented and followed in obedience and baptism? Are you connected with a local body? Most of you here come here. Most of you are members. But if you're not, I invite you to do that today. But whatever God's laying on your heart, do not walk out of here without doing business with him. This is the most important message. This is the most important news. Euangelion in the Greek. Good news. Why is it good news? Because Tim deserved damnation. But because of the grace and love of God, I received salvation. Not based on anything I did, but only because what Jesus did. And it all started, what we're celebrating this season, it all started years ago in that little manger on one starry night. Kings didn't show up. Powerful people didn't show up. But lowly shepherds, the bottomless society, showed up at his birth. We are to model that humility and humbleness as we follow Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the gift of your Son. Jesus, this thinking about what you left behind because you didn't want us to be lost in the darkness but you wanted to show us the way back home you became the way back home by laying down your life Father I pray for everybody in the sound of my voice if they do not know you that today will be the day and this will be the hour. Fathers, help us not to miss the real reason for Christmas. It's not just the lights and the celebrations and the presents. It's to remember that gift, the greatest gift of all. Your son who purchased our salvation with his precious blood. Father, you have blessed us beyond measure with so many things we, we take for granted every day. Father, continue to move by your Spirit. Continue to speak to our hearts and minds in this moment. Give us the courage to answer that call you place in all our lives. Your will be done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? 